0: Welcome to episode 94 of the It's About the Money podcast, your podcast about the second place New York Yankees. Uh, my name is E.J. <laughs> Fagan, and tonight I am joined by Scott Moss. Well, aren't you a
1: rave sunshine tonight, E.J.?
0: And Jim Carruthers.
1: Yeah, my day just got worse. Thanks for that.
0: <laughs> hey, I, you know, I've been saying first place for a couple of weeks now, and, and like, as of last <laughs> night, I was ready to say it again, and uh, then last night happens, which we're going to talk about. It uh, has been a good couple of weeks uh, for the Yankees. The Yankees are, what, three and a, three for, or two for their last 12 or something? Scott, or Scott, you got a bunch of numbers for us.
1: Yeah, I looked up some depressing numbers. It was my turn to be you know, Debbie Downer here. They're three for the last 14. So since that skid began, the last 14 games, just some basic numbers. They've scored 59 runs, and they've given up 81. That is a recipe for losing a lot of games. But worse, they have averaged 4.2 runs a game. The AL average is four point seven. Only Kansas City does worse than the four point two runs al- run score the Yankees have had. And, and, and the Yankees were leading the, the the AL in run score before that. Right, exactly. So in their runs allowed, they've been averaging five point eight runs allowed. No team and no team in the AL scores that much on average. So the Yankees have basically been turning their opponents, mostly some of the worst hitting teams in the league, like the Angels and the A's. The Yankees have been turning their opponents into a team that scores 5.8 runs a game, which would be the best hitting team in the league. And their starters are a tick less bad than average, which is to say the bullpen's been worse, so we'll talk about it. But the starters, this I had to add manually, it was super annoying, but the starters have had about a 4.8 ERA over those 14 games. That's worse than all but three teams' ERAs. So the starter has been bad, the bullpen's been worse, they're not scoring runs, so... Not clear where we start with uh, how do we make things better, but you know, several guys going down with uh, you know, like cramps and shoulder soreness and you know, mystery viruses isn't the, really the start of improvement. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the roster, it, it makes sense, right? Like, like the Yankees aren't putting talent on the field right now. Um, I want to read out tonight, so we're recording this before <laughs> the Wednesday night game uh, with a wonderful batting lineup. I'm going to read right now. Uh, batting first is Brett Gardner in center batting second is Aaron Judge batting third is Gary Sanchez batting fourth is Didi Gregorius batting fifth is Chase Edley here we go sixth and playing first base is Austin Romine seventh and and, and being the designated hitter is recent call up Miguel Andujar Uh, batting eighth is uh, Tyler Wade and batting ninth is Ronald Torres Uh, this is a bad lineup It is, but it could be a little worse. This is very, very faint praise. But what this reminded
1: me of is the worst Yankee lineup I've maybe ever seen, which was four years ago. I saw a game here in Colorado. So the Yankees didn't have the DH. But I I remember this was a god-awful lineup. So I dug up the box score. It was May 9th of 2013. Get this lineup. They had Gardner and Cano in it, all well and good. The following people were also in the lineup. Number two hitter, Jason (laughs) Nix. Number four, Vernon Wells. Number five, Ben Francisco. Number six, Chris Nelson. Oh. seven, Lyle Oberbay. Eight, Chris Stewart. The previous game, they let the pitcher, I believe David Phelps, hit eighth ahead of Austin Romine catching. So that, didn't, I think they did playoffs that year. They did not. You know, they are
0: like five, 12, you said? A 13. 13, okay, okay.
1: Yeah. So, um, so, you know, that's not any defense of this lineup, but that's in a way what today's lineup reminds me of, I guess, obviously, with you know, Judge and Sanchez and even a little bit of something else like Gardner, they're better, but, you know, this is bad, what they have, and it's the same thing, which is a couple of guys go down with injuries, and no team is three deep in middle infielders and fifth outfield, middle infielders, fifth outfielders, and first basemen, so, yeah. Can we
2: just set, like, a ground rule for podcasts going forward where we don't talk about the time when Jason Knex was in our lineup, like, routinely? (laughs) How
0: about Ben Francisco, left fielder? Uh, oh, you know, I, gosh. I, I yeah, know uh, that was a rough season, and the Yankees still won like 84 games. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think you know, what's interesting is I think the last thing you said there, Scott, right? That the Yankees have Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez who have done their best work in June, right? Gary Sanchez is slugging like 850 or something in June. You know, Aaron Judge has been the exact same player every single month that he's been he's been in the majors, and and the Yankees are still last or second to last, whatever you said, in the majors in runs scored. So that, that means the rest of the lineup is just horrible. Like, like if you look at Brett Gardner, in June, Brett Gardner has, like, a 60 WRC+. Plus. Like, he has just fallen off a cliff. Um, you know, Dede Gregorius has continued to be okay, but the rest of the lineup is just, I mean, even even the guys who aren't injured are, are not playing well.
2: Yeah, I think Brett, and Brett is a really good example of kind of what we talked about, you know, about a month ago with the amount of playing time that he was getting. He's... He's clearly cheating right now. Like he, he's not jumping on inside pitches, and he's trying to pull outside pitches. And Brett is like, if there's one guy on the team that needs the All-Star break, it's Brett Gardner. Um, he, yeah, you're right. Because he was he was incredible in, in May. He was better than Holiday in May, and now he's he's you know below replacement level really for June. Um, the one I will say, as a try to be a little bit of a ray of sunshine for this lineup today. And again, I I hate to try to go in the manager's head, but my hope is that that maybe rather than asking Andujar to to come up, you you know, he he had a cup of coffee at Scranton. Um, Rather than asking him to come up, play third, and hit, I'm hoping that Joe is thinking, just dip his toe in the water. He's got a good bat. Let him hit. And then maybe in the next game or two, get him in at third. And then then that opens the door for Headley to play first and give you a, a bit of a deeper lineup because if this is the lineup that, that Joe and cash are planning on marching out, this three and 11 stretch is just going to continue. I got to think that there's a plan beyond this.
0: I mean, so I'd like to, I think you said two really interesting things that I want, I want to talk about. One is, is do the, are the Yankees playing like they have a plan? Because my, my going back to when, when Brett Gardner was playing every single day, the Yankees were only carrying really three outfielders on their team. It was Gardner, Hicks judge, and like ref Snyder as the backup. Um, you know, the Yankees kept making these short-term decisions where they could have at that time called up a Mason Williams or, you know, probably better off like a Clint Frazier or Dustin Fowler, but they didn't. They carried like 13 relievers for some reason. Um, and then now the, the Yankees have just suddenly just been smacked by injury, 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 and they're left playing a guy like Austin Romine at first base. It, seemed, it feels like the Yankees are playing really short-term baseball with the 40-man roster right now that they just don't I, want to, like, they, like, they're they afraid to cut anybody from this 40-man roster.
2: I totally agree. I think that was the stretch that really, these injuries crept up during that stretch. Like, that that, that was when all these seeds were planted. And it is because the 40-man roster is, I think you tweeted about it earlier today, it's just, there's a lot of dead weight in there. Um, and Ref Snyder, as much as I, I, I liked him as a promising prospect, if you can't trust him to field at a position, you know, he... He's a player that if you have a lead in the sixth inning, you need to put a defensive sub in for him wherever he is. And that's dead weight on the roster. And and it's the reason why people like Gardner get worn out, because they've been playing every day forever.
1: I I see what you guys are saying. I take a somewhat rosy view, which is that, I mean, look, they clearly needed the first baseman and backup out another outfielder as of a bit ago. The problem is that everybody thought Greg Bird was going to be back sooner than he is. It really didn't seem like the kind of injury that I have him out forever, but it is. And then outfielders, they were in this weird thing. We talked about this a couple of podcasts ago where they need an outfielder or maybe two in the long run, but they were so, they're so close to having Fowler and having Frazier ready, maybe Fowler first, that I see that, you know, I, I was sort of heartened that what they didn't do is sort of what the 2013 Yankees did, which is find the over the hill guy who was never that good like Chris Nelson and Lyle Overbay past his prime you know like this year the move that would have paralleled 2013 is if they did something like get back Dustin Ackley from the A's Triple A team or Gordon Beckham from Seattle's Triple A team just you know that would have been the classic you know oh we're trying we're getting a veteran who knows how to play and whatnot instead you know they're they waited on Bird they gave austin a shot as soon as they gave up on carter you know i get giving carter a shot as you as you know dj he could have hit five home runs in a week at any time so it made sense to wait maybe two months but you know and they're probably now at the point where they're close to bringing up fowler uh so you know i kind of like that they didn't uh panic and they're probably gonna dump frankly ref snyder and maybe williams when they decide that fowler and maybe frazier are ready
0: yeah i mean that's the thing is i think that there's there's I don't know what they're waiting for on specifically Mason Williams, right? Mason Williams is a redundant player on this, uh, in this organization. They do not need Mason Williams at all, right? They already have two center fielders on the roster, one currently on the DL, and they have Dustin Fowler, right? So they have four players who can play center field, all of whom hit far, far, far better than Mason Williams. They have Clint Frazier as a backup outfielder. Mason Williams is the seventh best outfielder or whatever in this organization at the moment. And to me, that is uh, there. There's no reason not to DFA him. He probably doesn't get claimed. If he does get claimed, you're not losing very much, and you have you you know you have Mark Payton at 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 AAA, who's probably better than Mason Williams if he gets claimed.
1: I agree, basically. But I think that you know it's kind of like we were talking about with why are they still carrying Chris Carter? We kept talking about. You know, I remember thinking, okay, it's stupid that they still have Chris Carter, but if they're just playing out the string, waiting to be sure Tyler Austin's ready, then cool, you kept you know, Carter maybe a couple weeks longer. I, I suspect that, you know, I don't, I don't know much about the development path of Fowler or Fraser. I think that they think Fraser still has more to work on than Fowler. Just there was some quote where they talked about them both being ready, and, but then there was some faint praise quote, like, Fraser's had a lot to learn, and he's doing great with it, and you could almost visualize the condescending pat on the head. But I'd be surprised if Fowler isn't up by some point in July, like within the month. In which case, yeah, you know, Williams is sort of what Carter was last. Williams in June, I mean, July, could be what Carter was in June, which is dead man walking. He's just waiting for the next guy to be ready who's knocking on the door.
0: Yeah, I think Ref Snyder's also in that spot. I mean, yeah. the Yankees, Ref Snyder has blown games for the Yankees yeah. when they've tried to play him at second base. I mean, the, the double play ball he missed two nights ago was absolutely inexcusable.
2: Yeah, and especially with Wade being up, there's no point for Ref Snyder anymore. And-
0: right, right. And mean?
2: Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Between those two, you can cover everything. And and Rev Snyder is just giving you he's and the the thing is, you know, two years ago he was actually hitting. Right now he's not hitting. So you're, you're better off taking putting a lefty bat in there in Wade, because um, right now this this lineup is so righty balanced, and at least Wade hits lefty and can field everything, um, <laughs> than putting a, a a below replacement level bat and and an atrocious glove out there. I mean that's just a, a liability.
1: I totally agree. I just suspect that what's going on is that they think the same about this, but Tyler Wade just got called up, and, you know, Wade and Fowler had less than half a season in the minors, so my guess is they're just this close to being convinced that Fowler is for real at A. and, you know, you call up Wade, um, he seems ready, he seems great, but there's always some possibility that he'll bomb at the higher level, so I suspect that what they'll need to do is they're waiting to see if Wade has a couple weeks or a month of showing he can hold his own in the majors. I mean, not necessarily kill it, because you don't have to kill it to be better than Rob Ref Snyder in 2017. But just enough, if Wade doesn't look totally overmatched, then I suspect that, you know, when Castro comes back, uh, I think Ref Snyder is the obvious DFA.
0: A question for you guys. If, so, if you guys were, were Brian Cashman, what, what roster moves would you make that he has not made?
2: I, I would have Fowler up. I, I would have Fowler up right now i think um i think ref snyder's gone and i would have i would have Fowler up. i would i would eat it at first base um because uh i just don't think there's i know some people are high on mike ford i don't think he's ready yet uh and you got to pray that greg bird will come back someday and i would just beef up on the outfield which has been the area where the yankees have imposed their will on everybody in baseball um and and go to a four-man rotation out there. And if, and if you end up with a logjam with three center fielders, because Hicks, Ellsbury, and Fowler are magically healthy, I would love to have that problem. But right now, putting Gardner out in center, uh, when you have a gem like Fowler just waiting down there, uh, I, I think that's bad. That's, that's not good for us long-term.
0: Scott, how about you? Yeah, I
1: basically agree. I mean, I don't think there's a lot to do in the middle infield just yet because you know when Castro comes back, then, okay, between Castro and Gregorius being the regulars, you have Torres and Wade. Suddenly you have absolutely no need for Ref Snyder to pretend to get play second base, but you probably, you know, hold your nose and keep him around just until Castro is really ready fully Um, and until Wade proves that he's for real. You know, that he's not going to, you know, hit 100 in the majors, which I don't think he will, but there's always some chance that a guy bombs at the higher level. I kind of agree with Fowler or with Ring of Fowler. The only catch I'd say is that You know, A, there's always... I'm not too hard on them for not bringing up Fowler now because, A, there's always some chance that Fowler um, is still working on something at AAA that we're not privy to. And, B, you know, it's kind of like we were talking about Tyler Austin a month ago. If we feel like we want him called up now and they're giving him just a couple more weeks, you know, if Fowler's called up by mid-late July, which I, you know, have a strong hunch he will be, then, you know, that's okay. About right. It's not like they slow-moved... It's not like they slow-walked Fowler if they gave him... You know, 80 games of AAA instead of 70.
0: All right, so I'm going to make my case for for Mike Ford, uh, and this is how I'm going to make it. I want you guys to both guess for me right now. Uh, the WRC+, for people who don't know, this is like an overall offensive statistic, well, where 100 is average, for the Yankees at first base this season.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, my guess. gosh.
0: You guess I'll pick the over-under. <laughs> hey, sure, go for it. Uh,
1: 65. under
0: Fifty-six.
1: Oh, God. I was going to say under. What, I was going to say under whatever. Jim's so,
0: you know, <laughs> second lowest in the majors are, are the Angels at sixty-two, and the third lowest are the Rangers at eighty-four. So the Yankees have been almost almost half as good as the as a, the the Rangers are the third worst team in baseball, and they are fifteen percent worse than the major league average. And the Yankees are forty-five percent worse than the major league average at first base. Major Yankee first basemen have, have hit. 172, 263, 325 this season, and been worth negative 1.3 wins below replacement. Right? I think Mike Ford can do better than that. I don't know. I I think there's a range of outcomes for Mike Ford. Right? One of those ranges of outcomes is like Mike Ford is suddenly like kind of good and becomes like a like a, a you know a major league kind of like you know second third baseman for a long period of time. There's also a scenario where where Mike Ford like isn't very good. But still is better than 56 WRC+. And I, I think it's stupid the Yankees aren't trying it. And the reason being is, and I think I wrote this in the post I wrote about a month ago, is that Mike Ford is completely expendable, right? So if the Yankees decide that Mike Ford, maybe Greg Bird gets healthy in two weeks... And you know, and and is is ready to go. And the Yankees just don't have a roster spot. They can DFA Mike Ford. He's Mike Ford. He's not a real prospect. It's okay, right? He's probably a quad A player. But a quad A player is better than what the Yankees are getting right now at first base. If I were God, I'd call him up. I'd have him play first base. I would send down Rob Refsnyder. DFA Rob Refsnyder. And if I were God, I'm totally with you, Jim. Right? I, I would bring up Dustin Fowler. I'd have Dustin Fowler playing center field. I'd have Tyler Wade. Uh, replacing Torres because Tyler Wade is a much better player than Ronald Torres. I get that Torres has more has more experience at second base. Tyler Wade's a better hitter, and the the you know lost <laughs> the mid like Torres feels like a better player than he is, but he has been absolutely horrible with the bat this season. He's a fun mascot for this team. He's not the kind of player that should be uh, should be in the major leagues right now.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. You persuaded me, and you know I looked it up. I forgot how much they basically given up on. Ref Snyder is anything other than... (coughs) Sorry, corner outfielder first base. You know, they only had him at second base twice for a total of eight innings. They clearly don't trust him there with good reason. So, suddenly, there's very little advantage to Ref Snyder over forward. I mean, Torres, I I looked at him in front of me, but he's not really a middle infielder. His range is horrible at shortstop and second base. I looked it up once. Um, So, yeah, he plays shortstop and second in theory, but... Tyler Wade could hit pretty badly and A, he's not much worse than Therese who hits a really light 270 and B, Wade can play a real middle infield so honestly, if Wade hits 230, then Wade at 230 playing real middle infield defense versus Therese hitting 270 and not really being a middle infielder, you know, Wade's the more useful guy to trust to give Didi or Starlin a day off. So yeah, I kind of like this roster flip. I forgot that ref Snyder isn't really doubling as a backup second baseman anymore because they don't trust him. They don't want to put him there. You know, the guy you only trust at second base very grudgingly in an emergency breaking kiss of glass, or if it's a 20, nothing blowout isn't really functioning as a backup middle infielder. So yeah, replacing ref Snyder, um, with Ford and leaving Wade as your middle infielder makes all the sense.
0: Let's talk about Austin Romine for a brief second. Austin Romine has been playing first base last night, tonight, uh, Austin Remind is very bad at hitting hitting baseballs right now. So I'm going to give you guys another. I'm going to give you guys a piece of information, and now I'm going to ask Scott to give me a WRC plus. So uh, Gary Sanchez has a 150 WRC plus. He's been the best hitting catcher in the American League. He's looking 552. Scott, guess for me, and then uh, Jim can take the over and under. What the Yankees WRC plus at catcher has been this season, including Sanchez, Inc- including all the players that have played at catcher. So
1: Sanchez is a what you said one hundred and fifty RC Sanchez plus one hundred and fifty. Okay, and but uh, but he was out and Romine and the Yankees can play some games. I I'll say honestly, I'll say one
0: ten over it's under, under that ninety nine. Yeah, the Yankees have been below average at catcher, hitting catcher this season, even with Gary Sanchez playing like a, like an MVP candidate in any any non Aaron Judge year.
2: Yeah, That's with, the best, with the best the best right? catcher in the league right now, the best hitting catcher in the league for a month. Yeah, they're still below average.
0: Like honestly, if, if I'm Brian Cashman and once Kyle Higashioka gets healthy, I'm I'm thinking about replacing Austin Romine with Kyle Higashioka because he has just been horrible with the bat and him playing at first base is just capitulation. It's just saying fuck it, right? We'll take we'll take you know the worst first baseman in the league, no big deal. Like I I, I just I, I I think it's I think it's embarrassing and I, and frankly it's it's. It's something I, I maybe the it's because the Yankees are on a road trip and they think it's like hard to get somebody from Scranton to Chicago. I don't know, but there, there's something wrong with this, this lineup right now. I want to move but, on though. can, uh, can I just poke at that real quick? Okay, Scott and Jim.
2: <laughs> so Kyle is he's still hitless, isn't he? I, 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 he I don't know if,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: So I, I don't know if his bat's any better and I trust Romine's glove more. That I'm not saying Romine is great but this is part of what we talked about in the draft podcast it's just that they're so light at catcher after being deep for so long that behind gary uh there's really there's not you don't feel great i mean i i like romine a lot more than other people but i definitely don't feel good beyond those two Uh, I, i feel terrible about the the organization
1: so. Yeah, I, I you know I used to be a Romine fan, but I think he just you know didn't make it. If he were going to be useful by now, he would have been. But the thing that about Romine is that he's basically exactly he's as close to replacement level as a human being can be. His last several years, he's been minus point one, minus point one, minus point two, minus point three. Um, but worse than that, I feel like is the I know there's only a small part of catcher defense, but his caught stealing rates used to be respectable, but the past two years, they've been basically 18% yeah. in the past two years. And what I worry about that is that it's a sign of some kind of atrophy, you know, because you normally might get better as a catcher, at least before real age sets in at reading runners and, you know, the jump up, things like that. But here's the problem is that I still think the Yankees have to think of themselves as a playoff team or run their roster thinking we have a shot at being in the playoffs one way or another. And in the playoffs is where you know, the increased level of strategy and don't leave anything on the table can leave, you know, Kansas City stealing eight bases off the A's when you have a catcher who can't do it. So I think that's among the weaknesses a player can have. A catcher not throwing out runners is really something that can be made worse by another team that chooses to care about it. So, you know, just one of those things that makes me think he's not a useful piece now. Replacement level literally means you call up someone like Higashioka and not lose anything. And his biggest weakness, the running game, may be something that could be just a crippling weakness in the playoffs.
0: All right, moving on. So let's talk about the bullpen. Uh, this is where we were originally going to devote a whole podcast to the bullpen until the lineup decided to fall apart. And this is, um, there
1: was so much sadness to talk about in addition to the bullpen. You know, if anyone's still in a
0: if anyone's in good mood today, we are on it. So go ahead. Yeah, this is what happens when you go 3-14. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the Yankee bullpen sucks. It's been terrible right now. <laughs> uh, Dylan, uh, everybody but Dylan Batanzas and uh, Aroldis Chapman basically can't prevent runs, and they have to be relieved by either Chapman or Batanzas every single time they go out. Uh, Tyler Clippard is now just a guy who throws a 91-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, Jonathan Holder got sent down today. Tyler Webb came back up. Uh, what do we do? Uh general question right now right so is the bullpen as bad as it's been these last few weeks or are they just in a phase Jim
2: okay um yeah nice long pause there uh (laughs) I think I I actually think you know some of this is is some of what we saw with CC uh there's there's a, a convergence of events here right so CC was really strong before he got hurt and, unfortunately, they've had to have Sessa in there in, in his rotation slot, which I think is another mistake. But basically between Sessa... and yes, yeah. I, I,
0: I agree with you there.
2: Oh, my gosh, I hate that. It's a dumpster fire. Fact, anyway... We'll talk
0: about that in this segment, so... <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I, think, I think that between Warren going down, Chapman going down, and both basically Sessa um, and Pineda not giving you more than six innings every time they go out... I think they've just been completely overtaxed. Um, I think that this problem would likely fix itself after the All-Star break when CC and Warren come back, um, or or it would get better. Maybe not fix itself, but it would get better. Um, but the, the workload from the starting rotation has not helped at all.
0: Scott, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I was going to say something similar, which is that when starters ring, ring up a 4.82 ERA like the Yankee starters have – that's going to make the bullpen go get look worse or get worse because, A, not only are good relievers going to get overtaxed, like remember Betances last September was just running on fumes and, you know, suddenly horrible, but also you're pushing more innings down to the fifth and sixth plus guys in the bullpen. So it's the opposite of, you know, Joe Torre in the playoffs having only three trusted relievers uh, back in the day. You know, you really just can't avoid giving innings to your fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth best reliever in the organization when you have to shuttle them up and down. So, yeah, I think that's part of it. But, you know, it's I, I'm less convinced it's an inherent weakness because I think that it's really that um, you just are being forced given uh, Chapman was hurt and now Warren's hurt. And I have a higher opinion of Warren than maybe you. But, you know, he's at least, I think, a solid number three. But when you're number one slash two, Chapman, and your number three, Warren, both miss time, then suddenly you go from having two great relievers and a solid number three to throwing a lot of garbage out there.
0: Uh, Joe Girardi has been getting a lot of heat, at least from what I can tell from Twitter, uh, at least from fans, uh, for bullpen management over the last few weeks. Uh, do either of you blame Joe Girardi, or do you think Joe Girardi has done a bad job?
2: Oh, man, I, I don't know what... I, he's Joe Girardi's not making the roster moves, you know. On, you know, Cash has pretty been pretty clear on on who's running that. I, I don't know what pieces he's supposed to march out there. I mean, he, he's got a, a toolbox that has a lot of tools in it, but none of them really work except for Botansis right now. So I, I don't know what he was supposed to do. You know, last night, if you know, supposedly Green was down last night, Chapman was was not available, and. You look around, who else is he supposed to put out there? You know, his options are pretty limited to me.
1: Scott? I think you could fault him for what you could still fault most managers for. And we've talked about this, so we won't belabor it. But the being unwilling to do the Andrew Miller and use Batansis or Chapman in the sixth or seventh of a tie game that matters. So the contrast is, you know, the Rockies last night had a 14-inning game against the Dodgers. And it was a dumpster fire of both teams. I mean, the Giants. It was a dumpster fire of both teams playing badly and whatnot. But, you know, Bud Black had two relievers he just doesn't trust. One is wild, one sucks. So he had Greg Holland come in in extra innings in a tie game, the opposite of what Buck Scholder wouldn't do with Zach Britton. Greg Holland pitched uh, an inning in two-thirds, I think. And he had other guys just stretch as long as they could, like his trusted relievers. And that's because this was a game that mattered. They needed to snap a losing streak. They didn't, but he tried. But, you know, I, I think you've got to think a little unorthodox. You can get away with not thinking unorthodox. If you have Chapman all season, Batanzas all season, Warren all season, and Clipper didn't suddenly decline. But that's a bullpen that's four deep, and there aren't great stakes in declining to bring in Batanzas in the sixth or seventh more often when, when it's a tie game. But, you know, when you're down to not that many trusted believers, don't bring in, you know, dumpster fire exhibit A through F when it's a tie game in the sixth, and then let the game spiral out of control and leave Batanzas sitting there.
0: Yeah, I, I, that I agree with. Him. I think that was more of a problem like a week and a half ago, where the Yankees just they were just uh, Patances was just sitting down. Now it feels like he's been over he's been overtaxed. Yeah. I mean, last night his third game in a row, he did not look good. His velocity wasn't as high as it used to be. His control was nowhere. I mean, he clearly should not have been pitching that game. And, and he obviously, obviously, the Yankees didn't have a lot of options. Um,
1: I thought so, but I looked at the splits because my recollection is that they're using him. You know, they're relying on him more without Chapman, and you know maybe now using in different spots but he actually hasn't uh, thrown more innings by the month so much so if you look at in um, in April slash March basically a month he threw eight innings May 9.1 innings June 8 innings so you know eight to nine innings a month is actually on the light side if anything there was this stretch a bit ago where they wouldn't use him because it wasn't you know the right situation or something so I I thought that I perceived them as relying on him or if anything I think it was that in my head I was thinking they should you know, he's the only guy I trust. So when he comes in, it's that they need him. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think he just—you know—he'll have a couple bad outings. He's still a great, great pitcher. But they have nobody else right now, other than I guess Chapman.
0: I mean, I'm more thinking about just just last night, right? Like three games in a row, he was he was clearly cast. Um, but so so I'm basically with you guys. I don't think Girardi is the problem here. I think the I, th- there's one criticism I have of Girardi is that he hasn't been using the back end of his bullpen enough to get them into games, right? So Domingo Herman yeah. came on last night for the first game time, I think in eight days, and he, he had no control, right? Because he hadn't played in yep. a game in a week. And he's, and he's not really a relief pitcher. Um, you know, Ronald Herrera has basically just been sitting there waiting for a blowout. Uh, you know, you're not really getting, you know, Tyler Webb has been up and down now. He's back up again. You're not really using, you know, that situational lefty right there. Chase and Shreve is being called on to get out righties as well as lefties. You know, I think though that, that group of, like, that back end of the bullpen group, they need to find some people, some some players there, or at least give some players a chance to prove whether or not they have it. The problem the Yankees have had is that they the bullpen shuttle has been getting in the way of all this. So, like, Domingo Herman, his debut, he came in, I think he pitched, like, three innings, like, scoreless, or two innings scoreless. He looked great. And they sent him back down to AAA. And they sent him back down to AAA to be a starter, not even to be a reliever, right? The Yankees have to figure out which of these guys, at least for this season, is going to be a relief pitcher. Mm. Um and that's kind of how I want to transition into this, and I'll let Jim go first here. Uh, what internal moves would you make? In fact, I'm asking you to make two moves. What two internal moves, so you set, call somebody up, you'd send somebody uh, uh, down, two, two pairs of those, would you make uh, to the Yankee bullpen?
2: Okay. I, I'm gonna. This is a, you didn't set any rules on how out of the box we can be, so I'm going to get creative okay. here. Whatever you think. So first off, not creative. I'm DFA Clippard. Um, they, they can't trust him in high leverage situations. I mean, Sterling last night was talking about Clippard like escaping the eighth inning like it was some kind of achievement. He walked two guys. He, he walked the bases loan and again, walked in a run. Like he
0: didn't you talk can't trust time.
2: Yeah, and that's his best pitch and he won't throw it. And so he you can't trust him in high leverage and he can't eat innings. So I don't know what he can do for this team right now. I so, mean, Also,
0: it's not like this guy was like an ace setup man heading into this season. True. Right? He, he was basically cut by the Diamondbacks, and we got him, but we took for, for just his salary. And, you know, he had a FIP last season of 4.05. He had a FIP in, in 20, 2015 of 4.27. Like, the guy's not good anymore. And hasn't and been it's, for a while.
2: And it's not like he's he just started losing us games. I mean, he was driving us nuts a month ago. Uh, with with putting people on, and he was just getting bailed out because the back of the bullpen was electric then. Um, so anyways, I get rid of him. I move Mike Pineda to the pen. Um, Interesting. Be- because his his innings per start, Girardi knows Mike Pineda. He does not let Pineda go deep into games. He's, right now he's doing like five innings per start in June. Girardi knows that third time through the lineup, Pineda is at is high risk. He wears down fast or... Because he's only a two pitch pitcher and his command is kind of marginal, he's gonna get belted if you keep sending him out there and that's why he's only he's got he's topped out at seven innings this year. he did it twice in April and he's done it once in the last month or something like that. Um, I don't trust him he's a two pitch guy I know I, I call him AJ Burnett and that might be harsh but I, I don't think that you know given who he is he's gonna be a free agent this this year. I was hoping that they were gonna let him walk anyway. Just put him in the bullpen. Let him strike people out. Let him be your inning eater guy. Put him out there in the fifth, sixth, or seventh if you're in a, in a tough spot. Um, and that opens a rotation spot for who we really want to be in uh, our, our rotation, which would be Chance Adams. Use some combination of Adams or Herman and, and Sessa if you have to. Gosh, hope not, though. Um, I'd rather open up a slot for one of the studs, Adams or Sheffield, who made the all-star team this week. Um, you know, Make a, make a place for them to play and and then have long guys behind them like Pineda and, and Green that, that can actually finish out the game should it not go right. But it's not going to be worse than what it is right now.
0: Right, before you go to your second, Scott, I'd like your reaction.
1: Well, first of all, I really like the Pineda option because, you know, on and off in podcasts, I think every fifth podcast they do some tirade about Michael Pineda about how much I just hate him as a person. And it's, you know, I don't mean to overstate it, but I think it's really that he always struck me as the guy who his ERAs are worse than his fifths, and he gives up a lot more home runs than he should, and he always struck me maybe as someone who just loses focus or is just too incapable of having a plan. I don't know if he's slow or is easily distracted or doesn't care enough or whatever it is, but you know, that's to say that being a starting pitcher requires more of a mental skill set than being a reliever, and I think he may be lacking that skill set of a starter, and that's how he can underachieve as a starter. You know, they recently did an interview with one of the guys. I forget if it was Jansen or Holland, or one of the top relievers in the National League, and they asked him about starting. Actually, it was kind of a neat question, and he said, "No, nah, I'm not good enough for that." And he said it self-effacingly, but he meant it. You know what he mean is that every two pitches. So I love that idea. You know, there are some ideas that are really good and, you know, they're really good because when you hear that, you think, wow, why did nobody else say this before? So, kudos. Um, I have I've another weird idea, which is this, which is, I think they're deep in the rotation. Um, you know, Panetta could be left there and he's running a, you know, slightly above average of disappointing year, but I think they're deep enough in the rotation that I what I might do is this to fill a bullpen need. I think trading for a top reliever is going to be super expensive, like the other end of the Yankees Chapman and Miller deals last year and trading for some middle reliever is kind of like Warren or Clipper. It's underwhelming as a return. It's not clear. You'll get someone who's really an improvement, you know, Clipper 2017 versus Clipper 2016 you'll get. So one possibility that I think I'd like to see them explore and it'll never happen is this. You call the, you call up the triple a affiliate and you say, okay, all your starters, I want them to just throw three innings each. And then your relievers will throw three innings. And what you're doing is seeing which starter, when you move into the pen, doesn't, doesn't get that three-mile-an-hour bump on their fastball or, you know, be much more effective when they can junk the third pitch or whatever it is. And, you know, it's sometimes a surprise which guy will get much better. Remember, Warren has thrown a lot harder as a reliever than as a starter. And that surprised me, whereas David Phelps didn't throw much harder as a reliever. And it's funny because they were the same guy. They were about the same age. They had the same underwhelming stuff as starters. They were replacement level so you know, I think they should just run AAA's pitching staff like a little reality show, like who wants to be the Yankees' next middle reliever, and see which guy does it. And does it slow the development? No, I don't think so. I mean, Earl Weaver, you know, <laughs> lost reference for anyone much younger than me, but you know, pre sabermetrics era, buzz, sort of a forward thinker and a clever guy um, who I think thought along those lines. Said, you know, the best place for a young pitcher is middle relief. They get to try out things. They get to pitch more regularly and they get to figure it out. And they have more face time, talking to the other pitchers, et cetera. So I think if you decide that Dietrich Enns or Chance Adams or whoever is your next middle reliever, I think odds are really good that those guys could have a three-something ERA in the pen. And yeah, it could be they'll get more, repeti- more reps, basically, to refine whatever they're doing. So I might try that. You spend two weeks figuring out which AAA starters could be your next reliever. And then in two weeks, you have basically the equivalent of you know the better version of Clipper tomorrow, and he runs like a three
0: and a half ERA. All right, I, I want to disagree quickly, and I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to keep it quick because we're kind of we're running, we're running late right now. So I, I Pineda has been frustrating his entire career. I get it; he's allowed a lot of home runs. It's been annoying. Pineda has been an above average starter by ERA this season. Um, if you go by FIP, if you know combined FIP and ex-FIP, it's about the same, right? I mean, he's been better than his FIP uh, as you know, instead of those last couple of seasons. You know, I think, um, I think that frustrating and bad are not the same thing, right? I, if you're replacing him with Chance Adams, that's fine. Until CC Sabathia gets back, that means that Luis Sessa is starting every fifth game for you. That's just unacceptable. Louis Sessa yeah. is a below replacement level player. He was their worst pitcher at AAA, And because he's on the 40 man roster and they're afraid to DFA anybody, they called him up instead of Chance Adams, Caleb Smith, uh God, Daniel Camarina. Like there's a there's they have plenty of options that are yeah. not terrible Luis Sessa with his like four part per nine strikeout rate. Um, and I think Michael Pineda is just a huge improvement over that. When Sabathia gets back, if you had a chance Adams pitching well, I actually think that's a good it's an interesting idea. Um you know Pineda, I think could be pretty good in the bullpen. I, I could see him throwing 100 in the, in the bullpen. That would be interesting. Um but yeah, I'm not I'm not there yet. Uh, but I want to move on to, to the next move. Uh Jim, what's your second move?
2: That was actually a twofer, So I, I you covered me already because <laughs> oh, God. I God. All right. I I'm As long as, you know what, as long as my first move which is DFA and Clipper happens, then I'm really happy, but I would just like to see Pineda in the pen. That's, that's icing on the cake for me.
0: Scott, what are you thinking?
1: Um, I don't know that of have another move. I mean, I'll throw up my shoulders about whom you get rid of, whether it's, you know, well, Cesar or Clipper, I might be more like to say, I see no value in Luis um as a person. So he might be the guy I get rid of, but, you know, I think I'm more, you know, just want to just repeat, just I'll close with my vote that, I'm probably against a trade because you'll either pay through the nose for a really top reliever or you'll get another Warren or Clippard. And I just have a dim opinion of relievers who are not elite relievers because you call up a guy who's a good reliever at AAA and then he'll underwhelm because he was, you know, fooling guys at AAA with a slider and they didn't have time to adjust to it with that one pitch. Or if they were generally that good, they would have been starters, not relievers in the minors. So it's not true of everyone, but I, I think that relievers aren't reliable year to year i mean take mariano rivera there are a lot of people who've had a mariano rivera year or three there are very very few who have done it for 10 years or more that's what made him mariano which is to say that i don't trust relievers enough to really want to trade for them that often and i don't trust them enough to call up the guy with a two era triple a AAA, and have any confidence i'd have much more confidence in a AAA a starter who's been solid being able to just say okay you have a, you've been able to succeed as a starter which is a much harder task in AAA." a just pick your two best pitches and really air it out for two innings. I have much more confidence in any solid AAA starter being a good middle reliever than you know some middling guy you trade for or you know whoever's the latest guy who's having a good week at AAA, like Jay, whatever Firehouse or whatever
0: his name is. All right, I disagree a little bit. I think that prices at the trade deadline were absurd for Andrew Miller and Araldis and Chapman and probably Mark Melanson, but they they weren't so absurd for the middle the Brad Ziegler types. Um, you know the the uh, River Rap Blues today suggested Pat Nieshek. I, I think those are the kind of tra- uh, t- uh, uh, players to to look at. Maybe like AJ Ramos, guys who you know are are better than average relievers. They aren't. You know they're, they're going to be they're going to be fine in the sixth or seventh inning role. They're going to give up runs occasionally. Um, maybe even their ERA looks bad over a small sample. But for the most part, they're 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 capable of getting guys out. I mean, the problem with Tyler Clippard was that he was a below average reliever. Um, and he was, you know, given essentially you know the second most important innings in the, in the Yankee bullpen, um, and I think a lefty is important there. I mean, the, the Yankees have called up Tyler Webb and he's been great so far, at AAA, So you know, maybe he's he's the answer right there. But I think a guy like an Adam Warren or if you traded for a Pat Neshek or whomever just looks better is, is a better player when you can mix and match a little bit and you can keep away those tough lefty matchups. Um, The problem is finding that guy, right? Jason Shreve is not that guy. Tommy Lane was not that guy. I think Justin Wilson could be that guy, and I don't think he'd be too expensive.
1: Um, That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, which is to say that sometimes the answer to what should Cashman do is the answer to what does Cashman get back in his phone calls and texts and emails or whatever the kids are doing these days. So if he's hitting the phones and you know putting out word to GMs, I need an affordable reliever. What can you do that's not your best reliever for, you know, a middling prospect, not a top prospect? You know, yeah, if there's someone who can be had who was like a mid three Z array for a very non elite prospect,
0: then, you know, by all means do that, absolutely. If, I mean, there's, if there's a other available. names, I mean, some other names. Like, so I, I, I play a lot of Dynasty League Fantasy Baseball. Way too much of it. And so, on <laughs> all these teams, these leagues are are uh, leagues that that uh, have holds, so you can be you can have a middle, middle reliever. So I've got lots of middle relievers on these teams that I think are just interesting options. Just some options, right? Alex Wilson with Detroit, right? He's a guy who's had a mid three ERA for a couple of seasons right now. I'm pretty sure the only reason he's not closing for Detroit right now is that they're trying to pump up Justin Wilson's value in kind of a weird way, but I think he's an option. Uh, Joaquin Benoit, who you could have pretty much for free from Philadelphia. I'm convinced it's better than Tyler Clippard. Uh You have Tommy Conley from the White Sox, who we just saw last night, I think is actually a pretty good player. Doesn't have that many years of team control left, and I think could potentially be actually a pretty good setup guy. Um, and then if you wanted to spend some money, I mentioned A.J. Ramos already, uh, but if you wanted to spend some money, I think Miami probably would be willing to get rid of Kyle Bearclaw. Um, who is, uh, like, a potential, like, super strikeout guy. Even though he hasn't been so great this season, I think he's, he's definitely gettable. Doesn't the, um, don't the White
1: Sox have a reliever that they'd be willing to give up for not too much? Uh,
0: David Robertson?
1: <laughs> yeah, I figured I'd just give you a heart attack with that one.
0: <laughs> well, I, uh, there's two reasons to trade with David Robertson. One is that you could get him for three reasons. One, you can get him for free. Right. Two, he's pretty good. Three, it would just make Nationals fans go insane. Yeah, because they'd be like, we're stuck in this hell for another four months, guys. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Um, so yeah, the bullpen hasn't gotten to the point where, where the Nationals have gotten where there's actually, I believe, a rebellion going on in the Nationals' clubhouse where they're saying <laughs> you need to get a better players, not those guys over there. Um, so yeah, so I think that's that. I, I think those are all interesting games. I, I'm with you guys. that I don't want to give up anything more than like, uh, you know. Uh, a, a bottom end prospect so the last question I'm going to ask you guys before we finish who is the worst prospect that you would consider trading for a reliever at the trade deadline with the best prospect the, you mean or best, best yeah. prospect who in the system would you give up for a relief pitcher
2: I'd give up Mateo I, I, I'm, I'm okay. down on him anyway and I think you could you know you could probably sex him up a little bit and, and make him appealing to other people
0: 40 um, man roster spot
2: yeah, and I, I, I think that would be, you know, an appealing move where there's a, a logjam, and I think there's, you know, so many better solutions than him within the system, and at, even at the major league level. So I'd, I'd part ways with him, but no one else in the top ten, because it's just way too short-term.
0: Scott?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what you do is you do something like Cashman comes up with a list of his top 30 prospects, and you call up the White Sox and say here's our top 30, take anyone else for David Robertson, right? And then, so you're giving up someone who has some chance in the future, somewhat more than Cito Culver or something,
0: but not yeah. much more, you know. So By the way, Cedo Culver, option at first base, just throwing it out there. Yeah, yeah it's,
1: it's fantastic. You know, but, but more broadly, I mean, you can when you trade for someone, you can either give up value or eat salary. I think the Yankees need to just pony up and eat salary because I can't think of who, but there have to be other guys like Robertson who are still, you know, passable passively good relievers who are just so overpriced and on a team that doesn't need them. And I say go for those guys and, you know, eat the money. It's easy for me to say it's not my millions, but hey, you know, you got to pay sometimes.
0: All right. On that note, this has been your It's About the Money podcast.